Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's Saturday. I really am having a hard time believing it's 21st of January already. This year, 2023, getting off to a good start. It has been cold and snowy, but beautiful outside the last couple of days. And I hope you are warm and well and safe wherever you are. It's self-brain surgery Saturday. I'm going to get a little personal this morning. I, something happened yesterday that I, um, I feel like would be of some benefit to you potentially if I share it with you. Lisa and I had a good conversation about it. And it's, it's kind of a, a brain switch that I went through yesterday. The Lord delivered me from a misperception yesterday that I've been carrying around for 10 years. And I think it's helpful uh, to talk about these things when we have some sort of insight, some sort of understanding that we come to. It's helpful to share that with other people. So I'm going to share something with you today, a little personal, uh, that came out of our prayer time, the 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're doing with our old church in Alabama, Church of the Highlands. And this is a great exercise. They do it twice a year at Highlands. And it's a wonderful thing to start your year by clearing out some junk, to get some stuff out of your way, um, and, and just kind of focus on what God has in store for you for the year. Let Him define your agenda and your, and your plans and your steps and all that. Well, yesterday, here on the, whatever it was, the 12th or 13th day of the 21 days since we started, something happened that, that was important to me. It's one of those foundational, formational kind of movements that happened in my heart and my spirit yesterday. And I just want to share with you, we're going to talk a little bit about, I'm not sure what to call it, suffering substitution or vision correction or however you want to frame it metaphorically. I changed the way I've looked at something that has been making me suffer for a decade and I, and I, and I understood it to be something different than it was. And if you can learn the power of looking back at stories and narratives that you've held for a long time, the ways that you've looked at some things and you can switch to something once you understand it more completely, that's an incredible superpower that will transform your life and your thinking. If you can change your mind about that, you can change your life and you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right. So self-brain surgery Saturday here, and I apologize up front. This this episode may be a little bit – it's, it's – uh, it's personal, okay? Now I've written about it. At the end of I seen the interview, I told you about losing our son Mitch and a little bit about what happened. And in my new book, I, the first few chapters are about the events that occurred and all that. Told from the point of view, though, of not memoir, but when something really bad happens to you, what do you do next? And, and what's the process? 
which we call it, I call a treatment plan. How do you get that self brain surgery thing engaged so you can change your mind about what you're going through and find a path forward instead of a path down to the pit of despair and doom and death or whatever, alcoholism or whatever, when something bad happens or the massive thing happens to you, right? So I'll cover that ground in the book, so I'm not going to cover that ground here, but I'm just going to tell you one story. The the day before Mitch died, August 20th of 2013 is when he died, and the day before, um, he called me. It was the last time I ever spoke to him. I was uh, in the middle of my day of surgery at the hospital in Alabama, and in between cases, the timing worked out just right. The phone rang. I looked down. I saw it was Mitch, and it was my, my, took my breath away because we'd been for a few months. We'd been in a little conflict. We hadn't talked a lot because he was mad. He was struggling like most teenagers do. Right? He was he was upset, and he was not um, thinking the way I wanted him to think, and. He had decided to go live in Prattville, and we lived in Auburn. It was about an hour away, and he he had just been kind of doing his own thing and trying to find his own way, and he was dealing with anxiety, and, and he just had been making some missteps, right, like a lot of teenagers do. But my phone rang, and I looked down, and there's Mitch, and he's like, Dad. I'm like, hey, Mitch, it's good to hear your voice. And he said, it's good to hear your voice, Dad. I love you. And I said, I love you too. And he said, I'm sorry, you were right. I've been praying and I need to come home. I need to live with you and Lisa. I need to get back in Auburn and go back to school. And it's just time for me to, to get back on track and get my life back together. And, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry, you were right. I'm ready to come home. And we were filled with this just indescribable joy, like God had finally answered all these prayers we've been praying, that he, that things would be set right and he would be okay. And then the next morning, okay, we wake up with this day, the sunshine's dawning and it's beautiful and we're excited. Mitch is going to come home in a couple of days. And the 21 days of prayer was happening, the fall version of the 21 days of prayer in our church. We do in August at the start of the school year every year. And that day, the prayer focus was the children. And it was the youth minister, pastor of one of the campuses of the Church of the Highlands. And she was leading us in prayer about the kids. And she commented on that verse in Nehemiah where it says, Do your work with a sword on your belt and a hammer in your hand. Basically, they're building the wall and they're they're building, but they're also ready to battle. And the scripture says, because they're under attack and the enemy doesn't want them to build this wall. And, and so they've got to be ready to fight or build at the same time. And the scripture says, be ready, fight for your families, fight for your children, fight for your wives, fight for your family, right? And so that we were praying this powerful prayer, like we're going to fight for our kids and we come against the enemy and we're, and, and, and we're getting victory here because Mitch is coming home and we're all this stuff. And then like 730 that night, the phone rings and Mitchell's dead, right? He's gone. And so... It felt like this big trick, like this big ruse. And friend, if you've ever been some, through something like that where, where it feels like God's finally doing something and then boom, the rug's pulled out from under you and, and you just don't understand what happened, that's how we felt right then. We were awash in misery and suffering and pain. And we just didn't know what to do. And it felt like a big trick. And for a little bit, I was like, I don't even know if I can believe in this God that could could let that happen. So it's one thing if your son just dies, but the, but the fact that we had all this hope that was felt like it was rekindling and all of a sudden everything was going to be okay and then boom, it was not okay. That was just unbearable, okay? It was unbearable. And so, again, I've covered that ground. I wrote about it a little bit in my new book. 
what I'm telling you about this today is that fast forward 10 years, okay, this is the 10th year. This August, this year will be 10 years since we lost Mitch. Mitch's 29th birthday will be next month, February 9th. And so we're 10 years into this thing now, right? And of course, over time, your your thinking and your feelings about great loss evolve, right? They don't ever stop being great losses, but but your your thinking evolves and you understand and you mature and God pulls you through things and you and your faith develops and you, and you find reasons to hope and you move forward. And for me, that was writing and podcasting and and all the things I do every day are all about how we put our lives back together and followed the trail of hope which led me, frankly, back to Jesus as the only rational basis for hope. So so all this work that I've done for 10 years, my therapy and my, my, my self-brain surgery understanding and all these things I try to teach you were all come out of trying to find a way forward from that great pain and that great loss, right? So yesterday happened just again. We're doing the 21 days of prayer and the youth minister gets up. The, the youth pastor, the college minister from the Tuscaloosa campus gets up. And today, yesterday, he, he says, today is the focus on our kids. We're going to talk about the kids. We're going to fight for the kids. He quoted Nehemiah again. And he said, you put this hammer in one hand and the sword in the other one. You battle and, and you build at the same time. And you fight for your children. And you fight for your family. And you fight for your wives. And you fight for your husband. And you fight for your marriage. And you fight for the kids. And, and I just got mad. So you're 10 years later, right? The guy that writes the books and the guy that records the podcast, your friend that comes talks to you every day. I got really mad. And I'm sitting there and we're all doing our individual prayer. And, you know, Lisa prays with her eyes closed and Tata walks around and does his thing. And I sit in the chair and so nobody can see my face. And I'm sitting there crying and I'm mad. I'm just like, God, why did you do that? Why did you let us have all that hope? And why did you let me have that conversation with Mitch and make me think he was coming home and and you knew all the days in his life before one came to pass and you knew that was the last day he was going to talk to me or the last day he was going to be on this earth and yet you let me spend that prayer time that morning asking you to take care of him and, and asking you to bring him home and all that so why'd you let that happen and friend I'm just here to tell you <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to give you a substitute suffering operation here okay I'm here to tell you what happened to me yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, before prayer time, I was drinking coffee and I finished the podcast and and I was uh, looking at Instagram for a second, looking at something I was going to send to somebody. And I found this post that somebody made and it very simply said, I learned something this year that was helpful to me. And what, what the person learned was they said, pain is mandatory in life, but suffering is optional. Pain is mandatory, but suffering is optional. So that was in my brain bouncing around somewhere after I'd read that. Because that made me think about Viktor Frankl when I read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, a few years ago. There's a passage in there where he talks about how mankind is the one who was able to construct the gas chambers at Auschwitz. Man can do that. Horrible thing to somebody else. But, Frankl said, mankind is also the one who can walk into those chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Israel on their lips. The Shema Israel is the Lord, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. The, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's the most holy prayer in the Jewish tradition. So, so, so Frankel says, man can build a gas chamber to make somebody else suffer, or man 
can walk upright into those chambers with the Lord's Prayer on his lips. He can choose whether he's going to suffer or he's going to hold on to faith and hope. So I had that bouncing around in my head. I had this idea, pain is mandatory, suffering is optional. And the, and the pastor's praying, fight for your kids, fight for your family, fight. And I'm, and I'm mad. I'm crying and I'm feeling all that raw emotion. And I heard, listen, I'm not a charismatic person. Okay. I don't, I don't speak in tongues and I don't, uh, I don't think I can raise the dead with my hands. And I, I don't, I don't have that. If those spiritual gifts are not mine, God has not given me those things. I don't have the gift of, of tongues or prophecy or any of those things. So I'm not, I'm not a charismatic person. So when I say I heard God's voice, I don't mean that like the, the skies parted and the ceiling blew open and God's sunrise, sunlight blew down in my face and then the dove flew by and I heard an audible voice that shook the room and all that. That's not what I mean. In my spirit, I heard as clear as I'm talking to you right now, when I said, like a conversation, I said, how could you let me pray that? When you already knew what was going to happen, how could you let me pray, bring him home, heal him? Thank you for restoring my family. Thank you for bringing my son back to me. When you already knew what was going to happen 24 hours later, not even 20, 12 hours later, how could you do that? And friend, like a like a somebody sitting next to me in the car, somebody sitting across the desk from me, just as clear as that in my spirit, I heard this. How do you know I didn't? answer your prayer how do you know how do you think you can define whether mitch suffered or whether i was answering that prayer or not i was think about it and what i remembered in that moment that i hadn't really thought about lisa and i talked about pair of ideas around this a few times over the years but what i what i remembered was my son had a problem of feeling comfortable in his own skin. He was anxious, and he didn't handle anxiety very well. He struggled with it. He suffered under it. And I couldn't I couldn't convince him that he could change his mind about it. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons I'm so passionate about trying to teach you how you need to change your mind because that's how you change your life is because I wasn't able to find the words during his lifetime to give that gift to him. And, and it's taken me a long time to figure out how to give it to other people. Maybe that's why. But But I remembered how uncomfortable he was and how little things weighed him down so much. And he was a good kid, okay? And he was a believer and he loved Jesus, but he struggled with this being uncomfortable in his own skin. And and what God said yesterday was, if you really believe that the ultimate aim of mankind is to be with me forever, if you really believe that you're created to make a mark on this earth, but also to reflect my glory and also ultimately to be with me forever. If you really believe that, and I'm telling you that I'm taking your son to a place where every tear is dried and every fear is comforted and every anxiety is eliminated and every chain is broken and every bad thing is gone and he finally understands his purpose and why he's here and I've got him. If you really believe that, then how can you look me in the eye and ask me why I didn't answer your prayer? Because I did. And it just it floored me yesterday. It, ten years later, I realized that we have the gift of being able, if we trust God enough, if we have enough of his promises built into us, if we've read the scripture enough, if we've spent enough time getting to know him in real relationship, the prayer and meditation, and really walking out the word, if we've done that work, then his spirit can give us the ability to trust him enough to 
to substitute our suffering for trust, to, to say, okay, this is really painful, but I don't have to suffer under it because I know it's the, the purpose underneath it is going to lead back to a place where there's peace. I know that if I can, if I can believe it, if I can, if I can put myself on the line enough to trust that what he's doing is ultimately for my good. And by the way, Romans eight twenty eight, that scripture, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord to, to conform to his, to, to conform them to Christ. Don't tell people that in the acute phase of their pain. Okay. Don't use that scripture. It's true. And it turns out to be incredibly powerful and useful later, but you can't hear that in a way that doesn't infuriate you when you're first upset and when you first lost somebody. Some some preacher told me that a few days after mentioned that, well, you know, all things work together for good. This is going to work out for your good. And I wanted to choke it. Like I literally wanted to choke him. I had rage when he said those words. It's not good that my son died. Don't you tell me that. Don't stand here in my house and tell me that it's good for my son to have died. Don't you tell me that. That's a, that's a thing you can't say to somebody when they first are going through loss, okay? It turns out to be true. And that's this thing I've, we talked a lot about quantum physics. And in quantum physics, and I'm no mathematician, but I've always been drawn to the beauty of this truth that the quantum physicists have figured out that time is not what we think it is. And the reality is not what it looks like in the big scale of the world. But when you get down to the quantum level, you figure out that weird things happen. And one of the weird things that can happen is an electron can be in two places at once. And we don't understand that in our finite minds. But that's why God can say, Jesus can say in John sixteen thirty three that you're going to have a hard life. And at the same time, he can promise you in John ten ten that he came here to enable you to have an abundant life. Okay? Hard and abundant. And that means that you can be in pain but not have to suffer. And it can mean that you can walk into the gas chamber upright and still be praying the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Israel. It means that you can look at something terrible and devastating that happened and still know that God is answering your prayers through it. But you have to be able to switch your brain to say, I'm going to let God redefine what I thought was suffering. I'm going to let Him be true. I'm going to let him be the yes to the prayer that I'm praying, even if the circumstances don't look like it. I'm going to trust him enough to transplant that trust onto him because I can't believe on myself in those moments when life has knocked me out. I got to believe on him. I got to put it on him because he's good. And so what's going to happen when you do that, just like it happened with me yesterday, is here I've got 10 years of looking back and being really even though I'm even though I'm faithful and even though I believe I'll get to see my son again, I've been really mad about that. I've been really unhappy about the fact that I got tricked, I felt like. That Mitch called me, that that we prayed for the kids that day so fervently and we were fasting and we were really digging in to praying for our family and then boom, my son's gone. I was I was mad about that. And it took until yesterday. It took ten years for me to finally release that and say, you know what? You your promise in Psalm 124, the, 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 the look back at history of Psalm 124 is true. What if the Lord had not been on our side? The psalmist said, David wrote in Psalm 124, what if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. The raging waters would have overwhelmed our lives. But praise the Lord who did not let them rip us apart. We escaped. The trap is broken. We are free. Our help is from the Lord. See, David says, looks, looks back on time and says, man, we went through some horrible things. What if the Lord had not been on our side? 
And yesterday I was like, holy cow, I was really mad about this for 10 years, but maybe he was actually answering my prayer. Maybe Mitch's anxiety and stress was going to give his life some difficulties and he didn't have to deal with them now. Now he's free. He's been set free from all that. And if I really believe in the resurrection and I really believe in eternity, then I have to believe that Mitch is better where he is than he is here. You can't hear that acutely when you're hurting. You can't. But what if it's true, right? What if the Lord had not been on our side? What would it, what would that have looked like? So maybe instead of being mad about those prayers and maybe, maybe being mad about that phone call, maybe I should have looked back and given thanks for them because he was actually putting Mitch in a position of being set free from all that pain. And that's hard for me to think that way, but but that's actually another path, another quantum physics reality, that these two things are both true. It's horrible that I lost my son, but at the same time, it, if, if I really believe that he was created to be with God, that's where he is, and that's where he's supposed to be. So praise God for that. And that took me back to Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. So that means you're walking into the gas chamber, right? You're in this life that's going to be hard. You're full of all these difficult things, but you're upright with the Lord's prayer on your lips. I will praise the Lord all the time. My pray, His praise will always be on my lips. In verse 4, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. So all these horrible things that have scared me so much. I lost my son. How can I be a good parent to my other kids? How can I be a good enough pop for my grandkids if I couldn't even save my own son? And God says, wait a minute, Lee. I'm, <laughs> that's my job. Like I've got, I've got this overarching eternal plan for your life and for his. And I'm a good God. And I'm, and I'm a good, good father. And you're not responsible for what happens on the eternal scale. I am. So so take that load and put it on me. Let me carry that for you. Right? Game changing yesterday what happened. It's a transplant of suffering back into pain. Yes, it was painful, but it wasn't suffering because I was placing the blame somewhere where it didn't belong. And God and I was and I was wondering why he wasn't answering my prayers and he actually was. And that's why Psalm thirty four eighteen turns out to be true. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He's there with you in those moments. And I look back and I think that song, Matt Redmond's song, Never Once, and I've told you this before, but that song came out not long after we lost Mitch. And I used to run to it in Grove Hill. In our neighborhood, Morris Mill in Auburn, there was a path I could run from our neighborhood up the hill to Moore's Mill Drive and run out to Moore's Mill Road and, and then run down this big hill and then there's a, a long uphill that gets to a street called Grove Hill and I would turn left to the top of Grove Hill and run another mile down to my friend Rob's, Rob Brooks's house and then back and it was a 10K circuit. It was a 6.2 miles just about almost to the step from my front door to Robson back. And the way I had my playlist put together back in those days on my iPod, which we used back then, <laughs> which now we don't have iPods anymore. But, but the way I had my playlist put together, just about the top of Grove Hill would hit the chorus of this song from Matt Redman never once. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. And and so 
I'm going to play that song for you in a second here. And I just remember those days when I'd be crying and running and, and mad and I'd be pounding out my steps and just frustrated and asking God why. And, and it was almost like a call and response that would get to the top of Grove Hill, just about give out and just about out of gas and just about emotionally spent. And he would say, never once did you ever walk alone, dude. You were not alone. You might have been in the gas chamber, but you were upright with my prayer on your lips. You might have been in the furnace of suffering, but you didn't have to suffer even though it was painful because I had you, and you weren't going to be overwhelmed. And if I hadn't been on your side, it would have been so much worse. And I just, yesterday, friend, I was able to reframe a story, a narrative that I've held in my heart for so long. And this is a crucial thing. If you can change a narrative, a long-held narrative that's been in your mind and in your heart for a long time, and you can actually look at it with new eyes, like a cataract surgery came out, and all of a sudden you can see it clearly in a different way, then you can start telling yourself a different story. And here's a new story, okay? Here's a new story for me. Here's a new story for us. God had us in his hands the day before Mitch died. And God gave us an opportunity, gave me an opportunity to hear my son's voice one more time and to know without any doubt that he was out there thinking of me and that he loved me. And that the last words he heard his father speak on this side of eternity where I love you, Mitch, and I'm so proud of you and I can't wait to see you. So my son died with my words in his mind and in his heart. He knew I loved him. And that matters a lot. What if our last conversation had been a fight or an argument or just silence? What if we hadn't even talked? Then I would have been devastated with what if, what if, what if, what if? Why not, why not, why not? Instead, I get to know that my son entered his last moments on earth. And if he thought of me in those moments, he knew I loved him. And that's, that means everything to me. So I'm just telling you, the operation today, the self-brain surgery operation, this very personal episode here when I've shared a lot of hard things with you, only for the purpose of this, go back and look at some of the narratives that you've held about some of the hardest things you've been through. And if those things are still informing how you feel and how you operate today, you were abused, you lost somebody, you went through this hard thing, you you were betrayed, something, something X, Y, Z, whatever it was. And if that's informing how you interact with others now, how you relate to the Lord now, how you look out to the future with hope or not, how you think you are blessed or not, if those things are still informing you, then reframe that narrative because never once did you ever walk alone. You can change your mind about it. You can change your life on it. It's Cell Brain Surgery Saturday, friend. Let's get after it. far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory is your power in us, scars and struggles on the
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.